Ben Martin, first of all, it's great to have you in studio with me. I'm really happy to be here and always happy to talk about the Federalist Papers, but happy to be with you and Steve. Yeah, and February was uh, the, uh, George Washington's birthday and Abraham Lincoln's birthday. We should actually have TV because you are, are sporting an Abraham Lincoln beard. I've done a lot of Abraham Lincoln things this this last month and this month, too. So, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, Let's, I'll be removing it pretty soon. Pretty soon. Okay, well, it's great to have you here. And I think I think this is just so interesting. Uh, Dr. Tom Cranowitter mentioned this to me last night, and I, I see this, this, uh, this headline. And this is from the College Fix. It says, American political thought course at CU Denver removes all white men from the curriculum. And the professor is Chad Shamira. And he has, uh, in his syllabus, he says, this course aims to develop an understanding of American political life from the margins. Rather than surveying traditional figures of American political thought, it attends to historically marginalized voices. And then it talks about all the intersectionality that they're trying to to go through. The student that wrote this uh, article is Anof Kalem, I believe. Sorry on the pronunciation on that. And he said... His excitement about taking the, the course quickly soured when he realized that they were taking out all the achievements of white men. So that meant there would be no mention of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or James Madison or Alexander Hamilton, not to mention Locke or Rousseau, none of that. That is absolutely astounding to me. So first thing, you know, we used to think that college was the place that kids could go to to, uh, to gain the skills, to get better jobs to be able to, you know, have the tools to thrive and prosper and to kick the tires on all these different ideas. And so when you start to basically censor part of that and because of a political ideology or a political um, agenda that we see here, and then the other thing that's astounding to me is parents and families and are paying big bucks to these professors to do this. We have this discussion all the time down at the state house about money for education. I think that we need to start to dry that up. Now, Steve, you look like you have something you want to say. Give, give me the title of this course again, please. It is American Political Thought. All right. I'm not a big fan of Star Trek and Spock and all that, but that is so illogical. <laughs> How in the world can you can you flesh out a course curriculum without you know by basically pushing history aside like that, or at right. least pushing a large part of it aside? So you you use the word agenda, obviously, right? And you know, okay, so let's talk about the Declaration of Independence, and in there they have the beautiful words that every individual has the the inalienable right. To, of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. They're not saying any descriptor. There's no intersectionality. Now, it took us a little while to get it all figured out, but it was astounding that this little, you know, these 13 colonies hanging on the eastern seaboard came up and they founded this country on an idea and that all men are created equal. And when they say men, they mean mankind. Yeah. Uh, and so let's, let's jump in here. Uh, ben, because you have such a heart for all of this. And uh, we have the Declaration of Independence, which was put in place by a bunch of old white guys. We have the Constitution that was put in place by a bunch of old white guys. Uh, now, the Civil War, you know, there were a bunch of white guys on both sides that were fighting. You know, World War One, World War Two. these generally were a bunch of white guys that were standing up against tyranny. This is so dishonest of what is happening at, at CU Denver here. And, again, we need to start to, to 
to pull the money back on this kind of stuff because this is crazy. But we're going to go to the Federalist Papers and give us a little history. We talked about this last month, but let's give a little bit of uh, overview of the Federalist Papers. Well, the Federalist Papers, as we talked about before, when we were, you know, we, we talk about those great principles, and I think those principles are timeless and universal that come out of the Declaration of Independence, which is what we base the founding of our country on, and that was also the basis for the the Constitution. But but this is where we're we're fallible, you know, and and that's really important. It has to be learned that our our founders weren't perfect; they had imperfections. And when they first established their or declared our dec- our independence, then right away they were given the the assignment to go do their constitutions for their states and then to come up with a constitution for the United States. And they, the first thing they came up with, and it was because of reaction, it was because they weren't using proper reasoning. They had the, the right foundation, the right principles upon which to declare it, but they were so, they were so uh, negative towards this tyrannical mm-hmm. government that they had had from Great Britain that they went in the opposite direction. You know, we talk about the pendulum swings. And so it went from all the way from this tyrannical government of Great Britain all the way to these these articles of confederation, mm-hmm. which was probably the weakest. You know, they went from a really strong central government run by a monarch and a parliament all the way to this other one, which was this confederation, the articles of confederations where there was our our central government was so weak, so we went from strong central government to weak central government, and it collapsed on us. It almost collapsed. It almost caused us to lose everything that we had gained during the revolution. So, in the Articles of Confederation, what it, it was put in place for about ten years? Is that right? Or? Well, it you know it came went right after seventy six. They told them to start working on it, and by seventy seven they had written it. But it but it took until eighty one. 1781 until they actually had ratified it but during that time they were still using it to to govern our country and and it was so it was all the states it was centered on the states our our constitution is centered upon the people you know our constitution works on the people and with the people in the states or you know, that's a part of federalism where they also share government with us. Right, okay. But it's all based upon the rights of the people and then the good of the common the common community. So we went from this, this one thing where it was all states and it was no central government. Our country, our country, our government couldn't get money from the states. It could beg for it. And that's why we almost lost. If it wouldn't have been for Benjamin Franklin and John Morris, we would have probably lost the revolution. But because they got money, Benjamin Franklin got a, a tremendous amounts of money and equipment from France that kept us in the war. And John Morris gave money to George Washington a few times in critical needs when we, without that money, we wouldn't have had those victories and we probably wouldn't have won the war. Right. And in Washington, there were times where he wasn't even, they weren't, Congress was not even paying the soldiers. They weren't paying the soldiers at all. And when the Battle of Trenton, which turned our, our whole fortunes around, we were about ready to lose, you know, our, the morale in the country and among the army was really bad. He wanted to, to make this, this great uh, this great ch- uh, choice of a battle, you know, mm-hmm. choose a battle, surprise the British, 
and uh, pushed them out of New Jersey. And the only way he could do that was have John Morris come with a bag of silver and give every man $10 in silver to keep them in the army because they were going to they were going to leave the army right after the first of the year. Right. Okay. And, and so he couldn't do that. They and people were leaving and he so he came down with a bag of money and he gave it to them from Philadelphia. Gave it to the soldiers so they could do it. And the same thing happened in Yorktown. You know, George Washington and the uh, French army and the American army were up in New York. And to get that army moved along the land from New York down, and he did it surreptitiously down to engage in the Battle of Yorktown, he had to have money because he didn't have any money to move them. He didn't have any money to feed the troops. And so John Morris again came and gave his personal money. And if you don't know, John Morris, after the, after the Revolutionary War, he ended up in debtor's prison, probably one of the richest men in the, in the colonies at the time. And he ended up in debtor's prison because the government never paid him back. The government never paid Benjamin Franklin back either. They didn't pay back a lot of people that yeah. they should have. Okay. You know, we're going to go to break, and we're going to talk Federalist Papers, but I would like you to describe the Battle of Trenton just a bit, because that is such a fascinating battle. I'd and be so, happy to, So yeah. we will talk about that. And then the Federalist Papers w- was put in place to, to make the case for the Constitution, and we're going to get to that as well. So this is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. Ben Martin is in studio. We're talking about the Federalist Papers. We want to hear about the Battle of Trenton. I mean, it is absolutely fascinating, and you really bring it to life. So uh, we will be right back with Ben Martin. You're pretty fast, producer Steve. Oh, boy, showing off this morning. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, dissecting the issues, the news, politics, and opinion as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation and offering you a conservatarian perspective. Thrilled to have in studio with me Ben Martin, good friend, former Army Ranger, patriotic historian. You've you've done some classes. I took a couple of classes that just brought all these stories alive. And I want to we want to talk about the story of Trenton. But before we did that, you just mentioned that you you're like I don't understand this professor at CU Denver taking out all reference to white. That seems really racist to me. To take out, because you are white, we can't talk about. I mean, that seems really racist. But anyway, you had a, a comment. Well, I just said he's, he's talking. You said the class's name is American Political Thought. When we talk about American Political Thought, we talk about this, what we're talking about right now. The Clinton Rossiter said that the Federalist Papers are the most important work in political science that has ever been written or is likely to ever be written in the United States. That was written by white guys. Well, you know, that's who we had most of the time was running the government at that time. Mm-hmm. That's just the way things were. But these were some really impressive guys. And, and they wrote this this thing called the Federalist Papers, which kind of explained mm-hmm. not only what the, what the founders or the framers were thinking about when they wrote it and framed the Constitution, but what the people were thinking about when they ratified the Constitution. Our Constitution was ratified by everybody. And one of the great uh, political quotes I think of in the in the Federalist, and we're not going to talk about it today, but it said, you know, that the, the important distinction between a government between a, a government that has a constitution which is written which is made by the people and not changeable by the government and a law that's that's written by the government and changeable by the government they said that 
important distinction is little known and less practiced in any other country but the United States of America. And, you know, we have all this innovation. In fact, we talk about it a little bit in this segment. We have all this innovation, this new science of government. And they talk about it in, in Federalist 9 that we're going to talk about a little bit here. And it lists all of those things, the separation of powers, the checks and balances, mm-hmm. the federal the federal form of government, the federal republic. You know, those kind of things weren't mentioned there. In fact, they were kind of mentioned against by Montesquieu and all the other Mm -hmm. political philosophers at the time. So this changed what government was, and it made government, like you said before, the people's power come from, from the creator. And then the people give certain powers to the government so that it can protect those rights that we get from the, the government, that we get from the God, from God, from the Almighty, providence. And so that is a complete different thinking that was going on at the time and that, that gave us what we have today. The, you know, what, uh, what uh, was Calvin Coolidge said, this is a, the, the greatest political privilege ever granted to the human race to live under the U.S. It, Constitution. It's, it truly, truly is. And it's so under assault right now because, because if we are sending our kids to universities— and we and, and I'm doing a lot on education and uh, had uh, a guest on recently. She's written a book, What Parents Don't Know That Your Kids Don't Know. We are assuming that when they go to college and you hear American political thought, you're thinking that you're going to talk about the Declaration, the Constitution, you know, and, and the, Federalist, ki- the papers. Federalist Papers to kick, kick the tires on these ideas and uh, to, to just take that all out because – Somebody with a certain race wrote it. It is astounding to me. And so, my friends, I think we need to start to revisit what we spend on uh, higher education. Because if you take a look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she has a degree from Boston University in economics, Economics, if you can believe it. I can't. And I don't know who paid for her education, but I think that they should get their money back. So let's jump in here, though. A couple of things. The Federalist Papers that we are reading, this is uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay wrote it. But uh, we're reading the Signet Classic. It's by the introductions by Charles Kessler and edited by Clinton Rossiter. And in it, it, the back, it has the Constitution, it has the Declaration, it actually has the Articles of Confederation. But the Constitution starts with we the people. We the people. We the people, and that's so unique. And that's a really unique copy of the Constitution because it has in parentheses on the sides the the parts or the the essays in in this book in the Federalist Papers as to what applies to that part of the Constitution. It's it's a great tool. I mean, there's so many great tools in this book, and for only five dollars, you can't believe it. You know, this is a book that everyone should have in their library, and everyone should learn about this. Well, that's uh, why we're doing the show. And you know, what what was said right after the Constitution was done, James Wilson gave. A, a big speech right right outside of the Independence Hall when he gave that. And, and one of the big points that he made was he said, something cannot become an object of your heart until it first becomes an object of your mind. And, and that's the thing right now. It means you have to learn something, you have to know something before you can 
really love it. Yeah. And and everybody should love our government in, in if they knew what it was, if they read these things, if they read all the things that our founders did for us and the framers did for us. I mean, we are very privileged to be where we are today. I wish our I wish our government, I wish our legislatures, our representatives would read read this thing, too. Well, and they take a vow to protect the Constitution. But, man, we see people just tromping all over it right now. But, you know, we're Americans. And there is something unique about being an American. And this Battle of Trenton, when I took your class uh, and you described the Battle of Trenton, um, I actually, I don't recall ever learning about that. Well, it, it's a really important thing. and It was a very big turning point in, in our history, in the, especially in the Revolutionary War. You know, we, we, we terribly lost the battle of Long Island in New York when, when all the British came over, 30,000 British come over, uh, you know, and, and attack us there. And it was a miracle that we escaped there. And so after Washington... And it was a miracle escaped, of fog. It was a miracle it, of providential fog, and, of wind, mm-hmm. of the ships, of it being so quiet and everybody doing things and nobody falling and making a noise that would alert the British that we were escaping. All of that happened, and the fog st- stayed in, l- late into the morning. Mm-hmm. The, the breeze kept it there, and uh, the, the water was still. How, how did all this happen? But the British couldn't run their ships up because mm-hmm. the wind was blowing against them, and so they couldn't go up the river with them. Very providential. All of these things were unbelievable. And then they got, they got out of there, and then they started this long trek through New Jersey, first at White Plains of New York, and then going all the way down. And so the whole way down, the British were pushing Washington, pushing Washington, pushing him, and he gets, you know, he keeps moving the guys around, and he sends forward General Green to get the, the boats and everything ready at the Delaware River. So when he gets there, his troops all get in the boats, and they've collected the boats all along the river. So there are no other boats. He gets all his troops in there, and he escapes right before the British get there. And so he's on the other side of the river. He's, he's on, the, the, on the Pennsylvania side. And so he, he's over there, and he's safe. And the British don't have any boats to get over and get him. And so he's pretty good. And then the, the British decide that they're going to occupy all of New Jersey, and they start up putting, occupying all along the place. And one of the big places is Trenton, which is the, the capital of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And so the, the troops are there. Uh, they've been beaten all the way there. They think, the, you know, the troops are getting ready to to uh, get out of their enlistment because of the first of the year. This is now December. He's in it's winter time. Mm-hmm. And, and what year is this? This is in 1776, but it's getting ready to turn to 1777. Okay. And all the, the recruits are leaving. All their enlistments are up. And that's when he calls upon his good friend, John Morris, to come and bring Ten dollars worth of silver for every man to help him to reenlist. And he gives this passionate speech to him that you know the, the, everything depends upon you right now, and we can't quit now. We have to go forward. And so he divi- and, and they, some of them didn't have shoes. They didn't have I mean, shoes it was cold. at all. It was very cold. The river was full of ice, and it was it was a really treacherous crossing. He had four crossings planned that night, and he was the only one got his troops across. And so they were one-fourth one of, of the force that went across. He went across. He started crossing at midnight. Because of all the storms and winds and stuff like that, it took him a longer time to get their boats and the horses over. And so he started late. 
he started the march late, and they marched all through the night, and they got to Trenton in the morning. That was about 10 miles from where they crossed up river to where they attacked. Uh, and so they attacked early in the morning, and, they, and it was the morning after Christmas. And so maybe everybody else was sleeping and had a little partying, although they, they swear that that really didn't happen. You know, the, the, the German Hessians said that. But anyway, he attacked, and it was a great victory. He lost very few people. He, it just I don't think he, there wasn't anybody killed on the American side. We almost lost our, 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 our coming up, our fifth president, James Monroe, was shot in the leg that night, and because James Monroe had been talking to the people around where he was in the Battle of Trenton, one of the one of the doctors that was out there was a neighbor came out and saved his life, stopped the bleeding in his leg, and and repaired him so that he could go on to finish the war and also be our fifth president. <laughs> Astounding. And one other thing I think you said in the class is that the the Patriots, they, were, they didn't have shoes, that it was so cold, there was ice, that if, in fact, the British wanted to follow them, they could have followed the blood in the snow. And Washington from, from did, did see that. You know, he saw the blood in the snow, and he said that, you know, because they were, they were wrapping rags around their feet. A lot of them didn't have pants. You know, their, their jackets were very, were very threadbare. Uh, that, that they were wearing, and I mean, it, it was just crazy, and they kept on fighting, and then they got back. They had this great victory. They captured almost a 1,000 British, uh, and they didn't treat them badly. The British, the, I mean, the Hessians were afraid they were, they were going to really treat them badly the way they had been treating the Americans, and, and George Washington wouldn't let his soldiers do that. They kept them, and they treated them as prisoners of war. They took them into prisons, and, and they, didn't, they didn't mistreat them when they were doing that. Okay. Well, this is fascinating. Uh, we are going to get to the Federalist Papers in this next segment. Yes. We need to go to break. This is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. Ben Martin is in studio. And uh, this last segment, we will focus a bit on the Federalist Papers. So stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson where we are dissecting the issues, news, politics, and opinion as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. We're having a conversation about the Federalist Papers. I have my good friend Ben Martin in studio with me. And hopefully this is whetting your appetite that you'd like to learn more. And if you would like to do that, we are offering Vino and Veritas, a study of the Federalist Papers, and Vino and Veritas Castle Rock opens this Sunday night. So if you are interested in getting more information, go to americhicks.com forward slash Kim, fill out the form, and we will get that information to you. It always goes way too quickly when you're here, Ben Martin, so we're going to have to have you back again. But uh, let's do talk a bit about the Federalist Papers. Last night, we went through Federalist 1 through 10. We, we were going to go through 14, but, you know, there's so much information there. So let's talk about 1 through 10. Well, 1 through 14, or that's the first segment. And when you look in, in number 1, he gives an introduction, and then he gives an outline of what the Federalist Papers are. Hamilton does this. And so it, it, the, first, the first segment is called, and there are five, they're actually uh, five segments or six segments that he, as he breaks down his outline. And this is the first segment, 1 through 14, and that is called Utility of Union. The utility of our union. 
And so it, it, I, I'd like to start it off. It says, so Federalist One, Hamilton is welcoming his readers to one of the most significant deliberations in the history of the world, to prove something for a time because it cannot be done. If it cannot be done here in America, then it cannot be done. And that's where he's talking about self-government. So he starts this whole thing off in the introductory the introductory passage is just fascinating, and I'd like to give that in, okay. in verbatim here. It has been frequently remarked that it seems to have been reserved to the people of this country by their conduct and example to decide the important question, whether societies of men are really capable or not of establishing good government from reflection and choice. Reflection and choice, that's really important or whether they are forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. Now, that is just, that's just a fascinating way mm-hmm. to introduce mm-hmm. these things. And then he goes on to talk about the, the structure, the outline, uh, the framework of where, where he's going to talk about all these things. And so he gives that, too. That's also in the first of these... Uh, of these papers, and that's one of those that uh, I showed you last last time I was here about what were the most important ones. And so, in this section, six of these papers, six of these fourteen papers, are actually in the the most important, some of the most important ones, the twenty-two important ones in the Federalist Papers. So it's really important. So we get that's that's one, um, and I'm going to try to go. Th- fast so we can touch on these. And then we go into number two, and it concerns dangers from foreign force and influence. So we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to talk about six, and and that's more about, you know, we always talk about domestic Mm -hmm. problems, and so that's in number six, and this is in foreign forces. And it says, he starts this off, nothing is more certain than the indispensable necessity of government. And it is equally undeniable that whenever and however it is instituted, the people must cede to it some of their natural rights in order to vest it over with requisite powers. Now, that's right from where is that from? That's right from the Constitution. You know, it says, okay, we have rights that come from the government, and we give certain powers to the government. I mean, the the rights come from God and our Creator, and then... The, we give certain powers to the government as a people to constitute the government and so that the government can protect our rights. Got it. So it's a... So it's right it's there. It's very symbiotic. Oh, it, it, yeah. oh, yeah. It's actually, these things are so connected. So it, sa- you know, it says these things. And we, th- I'm just trying to go through this really fast. So that's concerning dangers from foreign forces. And it says Americans... It talks about the blessings of our union. And in, in Federalist 2, it says that Publius, Publius stresses that the Americans are already one united people, a people uh, descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, you know, that professing the same religions, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and opinions. And it just it talks about how these are so important for us. And then at the back it says a summary of this has taken place in our countries whose situations have borne the nearest semblance to our own. 
What reason can we have to confide in those reveries which would seduce us into the expectation of peace and cordiality between the members of present Confederacy in a state of separation? So he's given the big argument that we have that the only way we can prosper is to stay together as a union. That and that's very relevant to today, to today. With all the divisiveness that we have, with that we have this professor from CU Denver who who is basically pushing divisiveness as not being honest about curriculum and it is dividing us and even even here in the Federalist Papers it talks about if we don't stay united, Lincoln also said we need to stay united. It's biblical uh, because a house divided against itself will fall. Will so, fall. Yeah, go ahead. So then we go, I'm going to go, I'm going to switch over to number nine, because nine and ten you have to take together. And nine was written by Hamilton, and ten was written by Madison. But boy, I mean, you cannot tell which writer is which, you know, because they, it just sounds like the same writer. And that was their intent, was that the people would know that there was one voice. It was Publius. And these are certainly a, a great example of it. So in, in nine, number nine, Publius maintains that he that an an improved science of politics provides a cure for the rapid succession of revelations of uh, revolutions I'm sorry which plague the petty republics of Greece and Italy because they keep looking back at history you know to show examples they don't just come out of their mind What a novel idea to look at history to see yeah. what was successful huh. exactly. and what wasn't Imagine and that, that. and so and kept them perpetually vibrating between the extremes of tyranny and anarchy. You know, it goes back and forth, especially anarchists think that they'll overthrow the government and then it'll all be smooth. But when you overthrow the government with anarchy, tyranny comes next. It doesn't, you don't get, you don't get liberty. And then he had to conquer Montesquieu in this because Montesquieu was the, was a person that all of our framers spoke most Mm -hmm. of, referred to when they were doing, when they were framing the constitution. And Montesquieu had said, you know, a large republic cannot exist. It has to be a small republic or a small democracy. So he's saying, no, we can change this because we have come up with a new science of government. And he talks about those improvements in the science of politics. He mentions the doctrines of separation of powers, the legislative balances and checks, judicial independence, all of these things that we'll talk about later. And he'll talk about Mm -hmm. later in the Federalist. So legislative representation instead of a direct democracy and, uh, because a direct democracy basically is um, can be a mob. Can be a mob, mm-hmm. as we talk, as in, we'll talk about that in 55. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that again. Uh, what, what he says, okay, so, and he talks about the extended sphere as being the most important part of this new science of government. And what he's saying is if we extend the sphere, then we bring in more people, more sex, more ideas, you know, more philosophy, more interest. And he says, when you do that, you it's really hard for there to be a tyranny of the majority. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, you know what? This has gone quickly. It always does. We, I hope you'll come back and let's talk some more about this. I will, and we can go on to the, to the next segment. But this is so important. And then 10 just goes on, and it talks more about that, about faction. and about Because faction has always been the big boogaboo, and we figure out how to do it with this new form of government, okay. this extension of the sphere, separation of powers, federalism, which, which we talk about in there, too. Well, fantastic. So, Ben Martin, we will have you back.